is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Bash, Grayson's grades. Here we go. I'm imagining the report card has a lot of red pen. That's just my thought. I gave Peterson a D minus yesterday. I gave Wentz an F. I couldn't give them both F minuses. I can. Easily. We'll see what Scott Grayson put out there. How many F's for that one yesterday? Grayson's grades are up at 97.3 ESPN. Peterson, Schwartz, both in the F category, Scott Grayson. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm all right. So uh, you went with Peterson and Schwartz and F and Wentz got the D for you. Uh, let's, let's get into that. Let's start with Peterson. Uh, we've been going back and forth. I thought Peterson was horrendous yesterday. I gave him a D minus F, whatever you want to give him. I thought he was horrible, uh, but they weren't prepared. It was a lousy game plan. Uh, F for Peterson. Yeah, I thought, you know, once again, they came out flat and I, you know, I just thought, you know, I, I, I'm mad at myself, I think, for believing that this team as it got healthy and had a bye was going to come out and just, you know, I'm not saying play four quarters of solid football, but a little more than maybe two quarters of solid football, keep limit the turnovers, which they did and, you know, beat the Giants handily uh, ultimately by the time the game was over. And it was obviously nothing like that. I, I saw a team that just looked um, uninspired. I saw a team that I, I think got outcoached. I saw a coach who, who came out of a bye and his team wasn't ready to go. Um, and as I was doing the grades, that's why the only Fs were the two coaches because I just felt like from a coaching perspective, these guys were not in a position to, you know, to succeed. Jim Schwartz, you gave him an F as well. I think it's all encompassing that they just came out and did not have a very good game plan out of the bye there. So I want to go to Wentz. You gave him a D. Um, inconsistent again. You mentioned he completes less than sixty percent of his passes. So, uh, give us the story on Wentz. Yeah, I, well, I just felt like part of the problem with Wentz was that the play calls were awful. And so I sat there and I'm like, look, he, he didn't turn the ball over, and that's the only reason I didn't give him an F. Was at least there was improvement on that side of things. He also, and I can't believe we're saying it this way, but was only sacked three times. Uh, which was an improvement as well. There were times that I did see him throw the ball away. So there were things that he did improve on coming out of the bye. However, he was still throwing behind guys. He was still missing guys downfield when they did take a, a couple of chances down there. He did have Alshon Jeffrey on the one target. He threw to him open and missed him. I, you know, There's certainly a bunch of blame to go around here. And I just felt like in Carson's case, I was going to give him a passing grade of a D based on the sole fact that at least he didn't turn it over, and that by itself at least allowed the defense to have a little better chance to try to stop these guys, but obviously they didn't. So, uh, you know, I I think Wentz still stinks. He's got a lot to improve on. He's got a lot better stuff that he's got to do. Uh, Even the short passes, he couldn't complete those to Miles Sanders, which was partly on Sanders as well. But I think Wentz just needs to – I just think this guy is not confident right now. And if I'm Doug Peterson, I'm putting together a game plan that's going to build his confidence as the game goes on. And none of that is there for either one of those two guys. Unfortunately, we are at the point now where you're saying he didn't turn it over. It gets him a passing grade instead of a failing grade. And that just shows you everything you need to to really know about Wentz to this point. But how about Jason Kelsey? I thought that was one of the strangest games we have seen out of him with all the low snaps. 
Yeah, so I gave him a C, and and that's because from a blocking perspective, I thought Kelsey was right on. I mean, you could see uh, during the game broadcast, they did a good job of showing how he single-handedly kicked out a, a corner and freed Boston Scott to go, you know, 53 yards for the score. It was an impressive block. Kelsey did some good things getting off the line of scrimmage, but four bad snaps, that alone you know, really kills a play before it even gets the chance to get going. And, and so that, that's a huge problem from a, for a center. So I felt like from a blocking perspective, I'd have given Jason Kelsey an A. But from the simple fact that four plays got shot in the foot before they even got going, uh, that's bad. So I, I had to drop him two grades for that and gave him a C because I felt like um, there's a lot of things Kelsey does well. And look, and I love the guy. The guy is, is a Philadelphia player uh through and through you know he, he wore that on his sleeve when he, uh, at the super bowl parade of course um he, there's nobody more philadelphia eagle than jason kelsey uh so i hate to talk bad about the guy but the four bad snaps were awful has to be better he can't make those mistakes you know and he knows that so uh, those are definitely things that can easily be fixed and i would imagine that will be fixed this week Scott, where do you, I mean, we're going back and forth like this chicken and egg. I mean, I thought Peterson was awful, bad game plan, poor play calling. That being said, Wentz is so bad that I think it makes the game plan, like if there's a play on second down and seven, the guy's open, and he simply does not make an elementary throw. How much harder does that make? I mean, yeah, could Doug do better jobs of getting him out, moving him? Should he have to do that? Like, is his quarterback to the point that he's that bad that he can't call basic plays that 95% of the quarterbacks in this league are just simply throwing that ball, pitching and catching? So do you find more blame at Peterson and his play calling or Wentz and his inability? I mean, he's completing 58%. That is by far the worst in, in football. It's not close. I mean, every guy's over 60 but him. So do you look at Wentz's inaccuracies, the bigger issue, or Peterson and his play call? Well, I think they could have won yesterday with, with Wentz playing the way he did, as bad as it was. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you could simply look at what is Carson Wentz, you're the league lead in uh, as far as quarterbacks go, and every single one of those categories is not good. That's not where you want to be. So there's definitely a lot of blame to go around for Carson Wentz. But you have Miles Sanders rushing at almost six yards per carry. Why is he only getting 15 carries? You had Boston Scott blow up one play. He's been killing the Giants. Why did he only get three carries? So I'm going to point the finger more at Doug Peterson yesterday, and I'm at the point now where, you know, his game plan is so vanilla. I feel like it's predictable. We've talked about that before. Uh, I feel like other teams know what's coming. And if I've got a quarterback who's struggling to make the simple throws down the field a little bit over the middle, I'm going to start. Where's the screen game been? They threw one yesterday, and it was kind of, I thought it was a decently designed play where Jalen Rager came in motion, went around Wentz, goes back the other way. They quick flipped it out to him, and it got a first down. They ran it once. Why aren't you going back to that or a variation of that at some point? It's a simple completion. It's productive. It's quite frankly as good as a running play. When you're running the ball at the clip they were running yesterday, Mike, I don't understand why you don't run more. Why are you throwing 37 times compared to just 18 carries between Miles Sanders and Boston Scott? And you want to throw Corey Clement in there and his one five-yard touchdown run, fine, that's 19 carries. That is such a, a lopsided uh, you know, run-pass ratio, which Doug has constantly been at. There's no sign of self-scouting going on, in my opinion, on Doug's 
Doug's perspective, the play calling is just not creative. I, I just think that, um, look, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Doug is squarely on the hot seat. Let's call it a love seat and put Howie Roseman right there next to him. And then you got Carson Wentz, in my opinion, standing right behind them, leaning on the love seat, uh, asking the two guys how they're doing. The three of them together, uh, I think, quite frankly, right then and there. And you could put Jim Schwartz in the category. I mean, you could potentially blow this whole thing up as far as I'm concerned because I'm not seeing things going forward. As far as Carson Wentz goes, I think he's been a victim of a lot of coaching changes behind the scenes. I think he's been a victim of – um, you know, not really buying into some of what's been told to him since Frank Reich and John D. Filippo left. And I wonder, it's a lot easier to, to, to change a lot of things in the scenes and say, what a change of scenery in terms of coaches give Carson Wentz a fresh lease on life? Does he just need the chalkboard to race? Look at Nelson Aguilar in Vegas. He's actually catching touchdowns. You know, we didn't see that here because he needed a new, uh, a fresh change of scenery. I can give Carson Wentz that without necessarily removing him from Philadelphia and possibly get back to the Carson that he was closer to it in 2017. I want to get your thoughts on this. When I see Jason Garrett dial up a game plan with Daniel Jones and trying to do the read options or any sort of RPO, something that tricks the defense, it felt like they studied the Eagles. They realized that that is something that they are bad at, and they they felt the need to attack that, and it worked. When I watch Doug Peterson's offense, it's never about what the other team is bad at. It's always about their offense and what they do. It doesn't seem like they game plan to actually attack what other teams are bad at. Yeah, I mean, they had some bad corners in New York. And how many times do they take a shot downfield? Rarely. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, you're going to at least try to run a couple of things down there. But here's my problem, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on what you said, Hunter. You look at the fact that he does not call plays that set up other plays later in the game where you say, oh, okay, that looks like a play they ran before. Oh, but wait, now they're going deep off of it. There's nothing that sets something else up. There is no rhyme or reason to a game plan. They may have success on a drive, but they can't put two successful drives together. They can't come out and build off of something and grab momentum in a game. And they can't grab it with both hands and start stomping on the throat of an opponent partly because they can't even get on top of somebody early in the game because they come out flat every week. So I think this is a come-to-Jesus week for this team. It needs to be, and I think we're going to learn a lot about what kind of team they are. Of the next five games, this one to me is probably the most winnable, and you're going to have to come out and be ready to play this week or forget it. You might end up losing all five of these games. Yeah, and I agree with both of what you guys are saying. I feel like there's a lot of chicken and egg here, though. Like. (laughs) <laughs> they can't get any momentum in the offensive drive because they can't complete a simple pitch and catch on on, on like a normal, uh, you know, when you've got Goddard open and you airmail him three times, I mean, that's a first, a normal yeah. quarterback, that's a first down, that moves the sticks, you start over and get into a rhythm. They constantly are playing from behind the sticks because they can't complete basic play calls. Well, they can't, you know, look, it's, 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 I agree with you in the sense that Carson's stuck. There's no doubt. And I, but here's my thing. If I would have spent this bye week, if I were Doug sitting down with Carson and saying, listen, forget the game plans we've had. I want you to tell me what are your five to 10 favorite plays to run? And we're going to make sure we run all 10 of those plays at some point in this game. Because that tells me these are the plays he's most confident in. These are the plays that he feels most that we can have the most success with. And see, maybe we'll try to build his confidence by letting him run the plays 
he feels most comfortable running. I don't see any confidence from Carson. I don't see Doug trying to build confidence in Carson. I agree with you. I don't know which one comes first, chicken or the egg. I don't know if Doug's trying to call things that he thinks Carson can do well. But even the plays over the middle, Carson's a pretty tall guy. Why are so many passes getting tipped and batted down? Right. There was that one yesterday where the the, the announcers were like, that's just a horrible throw. And then you go back and look at it, and it gets tipped at the line. You're thinking – how is this guy six foot five getting his passes tipped at the line? Right. And that well, kind of says to me anyway that he's got bad mechanics. He's not well, you could see it, particularly on that play. I sat there and I went, Oh, look at that. He does not step into his throws. His mechanics, I've been saying this for weeks and even into last season. Since D. Filippo and Reich left, his mechanics have been steadily going downhill. I don't know that anybody's working with him on mechanics. I don't see any of that. What he really needs is in this offseason, if he makes it there, is to get a real quarterback coach to work with. Somebody who's going to work with him one-on-one every day, because I don't feel like he's getting the help he needs right now here. And if he is, and the advice is being given, and sometimes you sense from Doug Peterson that the messages and the, the lessons have been tried to be conveyed to Carson, and Carson, with his alpha mentality, might think he knows better and isn't doing it. I sense from Doug that that's happening. I don't know that for sure, obviously, and we can't get in the locker room, so we have no idea what these guys are like moments after these losses. But, yeah, I I think Carson's mechanics are god-awful right now, and the results are the sailing of the high throws, the ones that get tipped. You know, part of the tipping, and I will say this, is probably due to, at least on that play, too, that we were talking about, the one to Miles Sanders that got tipped at the line. I mean, the guy wasn't that far away from him. So, uh, you know, the the blocking hasn't exactly been awesome up front as well. And that's another thing we can go into if you want. Why is Jason Peters still playing left tackle? When you're shuffling a whole bunch of other stuff on the line. And that's a coaching move. That's a coaching decision. And sometimes I wonder if Jason Peters has some dirt on these guys. Tell them exactly how he wants to play and where he wants to play because he's getting his way every time. Well, it's that, too. And, Scott, we talked about it last week, you know. And I know that the snap counts say that – Jeffrey did not play a lot yesterday, and he didn't really take a lot of snaps from Fulgham. But it was the whole aesthetics of him starting the game, and it's like Fulgham's like, dude, I have done more than everybody in the league for the most part, but like five guys, and this guy comes back, and I'm back. I'm not starting the game. Like, you kind of give him a mental, like, uh, you know, uh, confident, like loss of confidence. I, you know, it's like those type of things that you're like, I, I, you know, was there was there any need for Jeffrey to be even active at this point? Well, I don't mind him being active because I got to believe, but you know, then use him because uh, I got to believe he's a better option than JJ Ortega Whiteside, uh, and, and so I'm okay with with Jeffrey. But I agree with you for everything Fogum has done. What message do you send the team when Jeffrey comes back his first game without getting too many uh, reps on the field? and takes Fulgham's starting spot. I, I, what does the rest of the team think as they see that? You're right. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And, and I think there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes here that I wish we could get a better read on because, um, look, they've they've fought back in some games and had to come from behind, and they've won them. They beat the Giants the first time that way. But this feels like the kind of loss that, you know, i got to believe there's some finger-pointing going on, although they're all to blame. Now, let me ask you this. And you look at this, this feels a little bit like that Dolphins moment from last year where, oh my gosh, you lost to the Dolphins. You look terrible. You were uninspired. The coach is awful. And then they shoved it to us and took off. And now they beat a lot of bad teams along the way. But my point is, 
almost every time that you have thought the team has been down and out over the last couple of years, they have figured out a way. I don't see much of signs of that happening, but would that be a surprise to you if they, in fact, figured it out and got this thing in the right direction? Yeah, because I just feel like there's so many things that they have to fix in six days that I don't see that happening, at least, you know, this week. Now, like I said, I think this team is potentially beatable, but, you know, Cleveland, from a defensive that is. standpoint, Cleveland, yes. I, you know, uh, they, they could potentially win this game. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but you are right. There have been these defining losses in each of the last few seasons that have caused this team to do a 180 for some odd reason, whatever it may be. They clearly can't just run out and take control of the division and put it away. Uh, every year, they seem to need to get the flair for the dramatic and run this thing down to the end and finish strong. Well, you know, how many times can you go to that well is my question because what I saw was a team – I saw two teams going in opposite directions yesterday. The Giants, to me right now, are the team I'm thinking could actually win this division, and the Eagles are the team that are going south and potentially might only win two more games. Scott Grayson's grades are posted at 973 ESPN. And you can check out the full list of grades right there. Um, and, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. Scott, thanks, man. All right. Enjoy your Monday, guys. Uh, we're trying to here. Uh, Grace's Grades are being brought to you by Cross County Connection, the region's transportation management association, dedicated to improving the quality of life in South Jersey through transportation solutions. Learn more about Cross County Connection online at driveless.com. The coffee does not taste the same on Mondays like this. Speaking of the coffee, I had the Komodo Dragon. No way. Did you get the K-Cup? I did. Wow. How's it work? Is it good? Fantastic. So what's the uh, what's the situation like with the K-Cup that you have to refill? It's just a K-Cup, but it's got like a filter in it, and it opens, and you just Very scoop easy. out. Oh, simply you scoop out the the, bean, the, the grounds and put them in. No. And then it's... Shuts just like a K cup. Okay, so when you clean it out, is there some of the old coffee grounds yeah. in there that sometimes? Yeah, I mean, to... after you make the cup of coffee, you got to empty it out. Okay, that's the one thing I was like, are you supposed to fill it to the brim line every time, and then it you know makes the coffee, and then you empty out the remaining grounds? I guess it depends how rich you like the coffee. If you like it really rich, you would fill it more to the top. If you maybe want a, a different intensity, you'd go halfway. Not sure, because I feel like, you know, the whole thing with the K-Cup is it's a, it's an expensive thing, and that this is supposed to be a like alternative of that, but I feel like I'm dumping out a lot of the coffee right. grounds. No, I'm with you, but here's the real question. Satisfied with the Komodo Dragon? I was. I, I, I thought it was really good. In fact, each day I've been having, like, three cups of coffee. Whoa, three cups? Yeah, I had, like, one, two, back-to-back, and last night around seven I had another one. Today I brought in a different coffee. I was going to ask you, did you bring in the Komodo? No, I have it at home, but uh, thanks to that guy, it was really good. So I went and got the K-Cup on Friday night. That's awesome. Dedicated. Now, I needed that cup of coffee yesterday around halftime. I had one in the morning, then I had another one around halftime. I, I needed a lot for Billy Schwein's show. Although I was very optimistic on Sunday during the locker room. Billy went all Giants on us. All Giants. Giants are going to win. So I went during the optimistic row. Come on, Bill. What makes you think that? Well, it looks like he was the smart man. Am I saying that Billy Schwein was a smart man on Sunday morning? Well, the sun shines on the dog's ass every once in a while. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, you know, talking about some of the stuff, Grayson. I, it's funny, too. 
It's like you could talk yourself into like down the roads of like he stinks, he stinks. It's his fault. It's his fault. I mean, in the end, they were both really bad yesterday. Here's my problem. Again, I go back to this. You don't like the coach and the play calling. I want to see a quarterback, and I get it. They can call better plays for wins. But these plays here, most quarterbacks in this league are executing. So I want to see – we were talking during the break. This is the Brett Brown. They go seven for 30 from three, and it's like you shot too many threes, but you got really good looks. If I just hit a couple more threes, I win that game. Well, you didn't make those threes. You missed them, but I had good looks. This is like the argument. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this but is here's like the battle. So it's like Wentz completes 21 of 37. Well, if he just completes 25 of 37, is that a difference in the game? I, I tend to think that it is, meaning these plays are plays that 80% of the quarterbacks in this league are making. They're just throwing passes seven yards, completing it, getting first downs, extending the drive, starting drives over moving the chains, that's something that most guys in this league you expect can do. Do I do I agree with you about then don't call those plays? Sure, don't call those plays. If you can't expect your $100 million quarterback to make that play, I go back to, I got a quarterback problem. You do. And I think those plays, another quarterback could execute them and it would result in better results. And I think with this quarterback, if you maybe switch things up when it comes to the coaching staff, you might get different results in the quarterback. And that's why I think if you ask 100 people, you honestly might yeah. get 50-50. But I do want to bring up something with the Brett Brown thing. You said when it comes to NBA head coaches, which I completely agree, and we are both acknowledging NFL, NBA, two different scenarios when it comes to coaching. But well, my point is that Brown yeah. doesn't have a hand in them missing the threes. Well, this is my point, though. <laughs> Hear me out. You talk about how an NBA head coach is big when it comes to game planning, what happens before, what you do outside of the court, and then once it comes to the court stuff, that's where it's on the player. Well, I think that Doug Peterson lost this game in the preparation side of things more so than the game and what happened on the field. I thought this was more of a mismanagement from a two-week, hey, what are we going to do to win this game? That right there. Whatever they said in that meeting room or COVID-19 played a role, they were via Zoom, that's where they lost it. So that's why I put it on the coach. Um, I don't like the game plan at all. I still feel it was very executionable. Is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> More than what it was, I would agree with you. More than what it if was. if Wentz doesn't complete, what was he, 55% yesterday, if he completes league average, 64 65%, I think they probably and, – and again, them winning that game isn't the mean this team's going to be a Super Bowl contender – but the game plan was not a very good one. The quarterback's play made it look worse. The plays were there even in a bad game plan that the quarterback simply could not execute. And the guy on the other side, Daniel Jones, he's not great, but he was 21 of 28. And him completing those extra passes gave his teams more first downs and kept their drives going. But was that on Jason Garrett for actually developing a game plan that exposed what the what – the, Eagles well, defensive where, problems are. I think where they exposed where the Eagles defensive play uh, problems were was more in the uh, quarterback like run game. Yeah, absolutely. The but read I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about where Jones on some third downs completes just some passes. But just that opens makes up some good for sure. It does, but just makes some good throws. Like he made a couple throws that Avante Maddox got beat and Roby Coleman back to back. Great throw though. Maddox goes back. 
and he jumps. It's just over his fingertips, but that's a great throw. Yeah, but hear me out. If somebody – seriously, I, I really do believe this is how it would go down. If Wentz made that throw and Fulgham leaped up and tried to get it and missed it, you know what people would say? Well, I mean, Wentz put it too high, so he couldn't have got it. But Shepard goes up and makes that play, and it's a great throw by Daniel Jones. I really do because believe he that. had to throw it there to make that but play But isn't work. that interesting how it's different? If Wentz did that and Goddard had to go no, up no. and get it. We're talking about two different things, though. Wentz is throwing the ball behind a guy when it's... I'm just saying, if that same scenario happened, but our receiver dropped it, the conversation would be it was a bad throw by Wentz because the receiver had to go up and make the play. But if Shepard or Golden Tate has to go up and make a play and they actually catch it, it's viewed as a good throw by Daniel Jones. Well, on that particular throw is because I don't. I think if he threw it anywhere else other than up... The play wasn't going to be completed. He threw it to the one spot that the receiver could go and make a play. Otherwise, the play wasn't going to be completed. You, you know could, what I'm saying? You could say that about some of Wentz's He had a couple really well, good throws, Jones, that you were like, geez. I mean, he's at the bottom of the list of accuracy, too. And by the way, when I say bottom of the list, he's at 64, and that's at the bottom. Wentz is at 58, man. That's a number that's a big problem. Definitely is. Uh, Colin Thompson scored his first touchdown on his first NFL catch. And he joins us to talk about it next. There's never an off-season for the NFL. It's football at 4, every day at 4 p.m. on the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Fake to Davis, Bridgewater, along the corner, the end. It was a score. There you go. You heard it right there on Fox yesterday. Colin Thompson, one catch, one touchdown. That's the way he does things. You heard him here on the Sports Bash. And, of course, people in the area are familiar with him as an uh, assistant coach down at Lower Cape May. But he also spends his spare time playing tight end for the Carolina Panthers. And he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline to talk about his first NFL catch goal for a touchy boo. What's up, man? Uh... Nothing much, brother. How are you guys doing? Man, I'll tell you, the Eagles game was so lousy yesterday that people here were just going head over heels. I saw my timeline blowing up. People were texting. I'm sure your phone was going nuts. Yeah, man. Four hundred uh, Between 300 and 400 texts and a bunch of stuff on social media, as you can imagine. And really the coolest part for me was uh, I was able to buy drinks in the, around for all the little watering holes my family has called home over the years. Uh, there's a bar in Key West, Florida called Shots and Giggles uh, right behind Soppy Joe's. My uncle owns it with my aunt, and we bought. I was able to buy around there. And uh, the Plumsteadville Pub in Plumsteadville, Pennsylvania, right near my hometown, was able to buy around there. And then the watering hole down the shore, the Seaview in Cape May, our favorite spot there was able to buy around there. So I got on the horn with my parents and all those people that were texting me from all these bars, watching the games across the country saying, Hey man, great job. And was able to buy everybody around. So, so give us a special for me. Go ahead. I was going to say, give us the uh, play call. When you hear it come in, are you like, this one's going to me, man. I mean, like what's the kind of like thought process as that play call comes in? 
So uh, it was up, right? It, it, I, I guess I should speak in layman's terms. The play's in, right? The play's in. We worked it that week. Uh, we called the play's up on the script, and it was a viable option. But it was really in, like, I guess per se, the, the, the first plays that we anticipated, uh, or at least I anticipated. But put the personnel grouping in that you, we're usually going to run the ball out of. Uh, and it's probably no secret when I'm in the game, we're going to run the ball to some sort or at least some sort of protection I'm going to be in for. So Teddy started saying to play, and I started laughing, and Ian Thomas, the other tight end, kind of slapped me on the thigh, and we started laughing, and we trotted out there and, and faked one of our run plays, and I just walked on the safety real quick and just ran to the corner as fast as I could, and Teddy floated it up. And, uh, man, it felt like the ball was in the air forever. The, the ball started spiraling because the wind was – was blowing, I guess, west to east so much that it, it turned the ball sideways. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, Betty, Betty left you out the dry there. I said, no, he didn't. He actually threw it perfectly. It's a spiral out of his hands, but the ball floated, and uh, I was able to come back to the ball and kind of body catch it because it, it was an awkward, awkward, awkward ball through the wind. So an unbelievable play. He landed uh, on my back, and Ian Thomas is there, or other tight end number 80. He's going nuts. Chris Chris Manor, it's number 82, or other tight end there. He's going nuts. We're all going crazy. The sideline was. So um, it was pretty special. I'll never forget the embraces with the coaches, the players after that moment. It was a tough loss, and uh, we need to be better, better as a team. But a monumental day for myself, my family, my fiance, Sydney, uh, lower K May football, uh, my high school football team, Archbishop Woods. So a lot of people to shout out. There's been a lot of people that have helped me along the way, and I'm a product of them. By the way, I had Bridgewater on my fantasy team, so it helped me out too. Yeah, he was loving that. Yeah, he was win-win, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. We, we were well, going back and forth, Gil and I, about the Eagles game, and we were like, "Screw this!" Like we started talking about the Panthers. It was so exciting. I had goosebumps watching that. It was nuts. But I want to know. Well, somebody had me. Yeah, somebody go, had me. I'm sorry. Somebody had me to score a touchdown. Somebody gambled. That, that was like all over Twitter. All my wow. friends texted me like, "Hey, who, who bet this?" So, I mean, I know. I probably not a lot of talk. I mean, I don't know who did it, but somebody bet I would be the first scorer, and they won like fifteen hundred dollars. So that's um, that's crazy. I mean, I, I haven't caught a ball in my NFL career, so yeah, that's crazy. unbelievable. Far, now I want to know yeah. how much did you guys practice it throughout the week? Was it enough where you figured like, hey, this might be actually utilized, or in the back of your mind you were thinking like, I don't know if we're really going to use this play. Like, was it talked about enough in practice where you kind of had an idea you might go down that road? Yeah, no doubt. And we like the run that we're trying to, you know, fake a lot, right? It's one of our premier runs. So if we're going to get some, if we're going to run that play, usually you run the play, the run, the actual run play behind the three tight ends, and then you work the pass. Um, and yeah, so it was up for sure. And it was live, but, but everything needs to work out for it to happen, right? Um, we turn a ball over, shot Barrett punches the ball out. We go four, three plays and don't get the first down. Coach Rule decides to go for it on fourth and four when we're on the 30, and we can make, you know, a guaranteed, pretty much guaranteed three points there. And he goes for it. We make a great play, couple runs. All of a sudden, it's third and three, and we're, like, in, on the seven-yard line there. That's what it was, seven-yard catch. And, uh, yeah, it just popped. So everything had to work, work together for it to work. Because there's been plays up before, but it just hasn't worked. So everything had to happen correctly. So, uh, obviously, this has been a wild year. I mean, you're in the XFL, uh, and, and that folds because of the pandemic. You were in the AAF before that. You've been in camp with the Bears and the Giants. 
Now fast forward, you're here in, in Cape May working out for the summer, have no idea what's going to happen. You get the call to go to Carolina. You are released from the Panthers. Two days later, you get the call to come back. In the meantime, you are helping out Lower Cape May. So how's that all working out? Are you still kind of – uh, engaging a part of the Lower Cape May football program. Let our listeners kind of in on, you know, you're preparing for an NFL football game against Tom Brady and the Bucks, and yet you have a game uh, that you're preparing for here. How How is that, uh, you know, split working? So it's nice with our NFL schedule that uh, if you look at Lower Cape May-wise, players' day off is usually Sunday, coaches' day off obviously too, and then we're playing the game. I get home after the game, I start texting the coaches right away. What are we thinking for next week? Uh, I'm on the flight home somewhere. What do I need to type up to prepare the script for next week? And we just kind of get the wheel spinning for next week. They tell me what they saw on film, and then I'll watch and film either Sunday or Monday from the previous game we played in or who we're going to play for Lower Cape May. So then I get home Monday, like right now, I'm on my way home, and they're at practice. And then usually today is like a, a run and lift day for us. But we have a short week this week. We play Thursday, and I would put together this script for practice tomorrow for the offense. That like from the feedback from the coaches, and then we'd have a Zoom meeting tonight, probably a Zoom meeting tomorrow, and then a Zoom meeting uh, Thursday night to get the script ready for the game. So we're having four or five meetings a week that I'm a part of. The only thing I'm not there for is actual practice. So it's been really unique in that sense. Where hey, the technology thing, everyone's kind of. Not a fan of it because of COVID and it's starting to get old and Zoom this and Zoom that. It's been great for us because I can still be their quote-unquote offensive coordinator. I'm not going to plays. Lance Bailey and Rick Venuto and the offensive staff handle that on game day. But uh, really, I'm just there to kind of dress it all together, make everyone speak the same language, and they spit it out on game day. And uh, it's been a great year for us up and down, but that's what you want in the first year in a program. Our kids are tough. They fight hard. Uh, a big win last week over Holy Cross, and we got a game Thursday night. So I know the guys are excited with the short week. Yeah, it's wild. I, I was wondering, like, you know, are you on a Zoom on a laptop on Friday nights, like calling the plays from a Zoom computer? No, there, I wish, I wish, because we've had we've had one or two games where I've been on a watch on Friday nights because they've been uh, live streamed or whatever they may be. Um, but that has not been the case. That's <laughs> not been the case. I had text on those live streams like, "Hey, call this. We get it on the right hash. I, I could see this working." But, no, it's been fun, guys. I love it. I, I, I don't really – I'm trying to avoid TV shows. You get sucked into them and you, my life's over. Or I don't really play, like, Xbox or PS3 or any whatever vibe now, I should say. But I just enjoy football. Uh, I enjoy the podcast stuff, the media stuff, as you guys know. And, and I enjoy playing it and coaching football. So it's been fun for me. It's, it's my getaway. And uh, the kids are great, and it's been it's been a great first year in the program, uh, led by Lance Bailey and the staff there. Yeah, a lot of strides for uh, Lower Cape May. Colin Thompson is one of the assistant coaches. He's also by night a uh, NFL tight end who caught his first NFL pass. It was a touchdown yesterday uh, for the Carolina Panthers. Um, talk about being a NFL player in a pandemic. I mean, we had Sal Pal on Friday and he was like, you know, these players have COVID fatigue. I mean, you're getting tested every single day. I guess it's not the glamorous uh, NFL season that typically most people are used to having. I, I don't, I don't I, I think I disagree with Sal. I don't think, and respectfully, of course, I have a ton of respect for Sal. He's unbelievable. He's all a famer. Uh, and someone I grew up listening to forever and talking to on your show. 
but I disagree. I don't see the COVID fatigue. I mean, yes, the fatigue to the sense that, hey, you can't go out to dinner with the guys, things like that, but it's only the organization to handle those things, and I think Coach Rule and, and everyone, uh, Mr. Tepper, our owner, has done a great job with the Panthers of creating environments where it's safe for us to be together in school settings around our building where, you know, maybe the coaches aren't there. Or, you know, maybe it's a player's thing. We're, at, we're having stakes. We're, we're trying to make it as normal as possible. Yes, we get tested every day, but, guys, I'll be honest with you, it takes no more start to finish than 30 seconds. So it's, it's pretty routine, I'll be honest. And like I said, you lose the social side of things. But I always say this about the NFL. What's the difference between this and college? The NFL, when, when the game's done – I mean, you know if you win or lost, but, like, it's business as usual. You get on the bus, you get on your phone, and you get back on the plane and go home. Or you get in your car and you drive home because everyone's got kids and families and they have life outside of football. We're in college. You live together. You eat together. You travel together. You go out together. So it's a singular thing. Maybe you have one or two, three close friends on one team. In college, you got, like, 50 buddies. So it's unique in that sense where, to me, it's a normal NFL season in that sense. Uh, obviously, there's some differences socially, but all in all, I, I don't think we're too fatigued by it. All right, Colin Thompson, we know you're busy. You got uh, another game plan to put together for Lower Cape May. You got to get ready uh, for next week's game. Panthers uh, fall to you know Tom Brady and that uh, Buccaneers team, which is a pretty good team, obviously. So tough loss there yesterday, and uh, obviously, want to let you uh, get yourself ready to go. And I'm sure you got a lot of people to respond to. I was very uh, honored that you responded so early to my text message. I am working through it, Mike. I, I saw Hunter sent me the little eyes emoji, which I know exactly what that meant. Uh, and then I, yeah, you got me a text, and then I, you, and I, I was, I was going to come on the show. So we got to make that work. Absolutely, Mike. You're high on the totem pole, <laughs> Hunter. You guys know that. You're my guys. You know that. Uh, and whoever is listening, who I've not got back to. I am working through it. I am working through it. And we will let Tim get back to those. It's uh, Panthers-Lions next week. That game's down in Carolina. And uh, Colin Thompson, of course. Hey, great job, man. Stay healthy, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Always having me on. Thank Uh, you. He, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. He got the uh, first catch of his career, and it happened to be for a touchdown. And then when he got home from the game yesterday, he started preparing for the Caper Tigers next game. Just loves football. Loves football. He did say one thing that stood out to me, though. Two, really. One I'll save for the other side. But this one, when you are older and you're playing in professional sports, you're accustomed to being around teammates your own age. Some guys are 35, 37, 32. It's a totally different environment from a social standpoint. It really is definitely uh Oh, yeah. Different. When you're playing in college and the whole team's playing PlayStation and Xbox yeah. together, and then here, half the team's got families. They're married, kids going home, and you only got a couple guys that were in the same boat as you. Right. Sports Best brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call. Four convenient locations to serve you online. GMSLaw.com. All right, I want to get that second observation. We want to continue this conversation with the Eagles. we got a ton of text messages, one that I really want to highlight, and also poll question, DeCheco, Joiner, Busy Show. The 2020 NBA Draft. This is his wife. SPN. All right, thanks to Colin Thompson. Good stuff out of him. Coming up, it's football at four with Andrew DeCheco in about nine minutes from now.
Can't wait for that. By the way, week 10 of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape. Drag Not yet. Teams. Not yet. Game tonight. That's right. There is one more Nikki game. Nikki Foles, baby. There is. There's Maybe I'm becoming a Foles guy. Now, come on. Don't be doing that. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when signing up using promo code 973. It's not all about football. MMA, UFC 255. I'm a UFC's Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code 973. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Did you watch UFC this weekend? I did. I watched the I watched the last fight, which was Felder. I watched him get in there. He went five rounds. He got beat up a bit, not going to lie. He did. He got taken to the ground a few times. But for the circumstances, I got to tip my cap. Did you get into it at all? Or not no. So I, uh, we had uh, some family in town this weekend. And um, what was I doing on Saturday? I don't remember. Don't remember? Now the Felder yeah, fight was good though. I mean, it was no Masters. I, I no saw Masters. no Masters. Me too. It was a blowout though by the end, and Tiger Woods had that ten. He hit he's ten strokes on the one hole. Yeah. But uh, can I uh, throw you out what I heard from Colin Thompson that stood out to me? So I asked him about the play, right? And I said, "Did you practice it a lot? How did you really go down that road when it comes to practice?" And he said, "Well, that is one of our premier running plays, and that set up the bite essentially." That's exactly what I'm talking about with Doug Peterson, where, you know, you look at Matt Rule in this Panthers offense. They have this run play. That's what they do all the time. What that does when they keep pounding that one play, it opens up that option for you to throw out that Colin Thompson. It's like, whoa, no one expected that. Well, I don't can... see the plays develop into other plays. And Scott this Grayson, is the chicken of the egg thing. Yeah, Scott Grayson alluded to that as well think, when we had him on. But he also acknowledged this is the oh, chicken yeah, of the egg thing. You, it. It's hard to set up plays when you can't, complete the routines that's fine i'm agreeing with you no doubt i am agreeing with you on that statement right I am. uh this I is am. a text message i thought stood out yo mike you keep saying elementary when referring to the passes wentz is missing but i think the word that fits is routine you don't expect your quarterback to complete every deep ball but that routine intermediate pass he's got to be a completed at a high percentage that's the one i'm talking about i'm not asking him for to hit the deep ball every single time but if he hits that underneath little six, seven, eight, nine yarder, he gives the receivers a chance to do more things. It keeps the sticks moving. It keeps the chains moving. It keeps drives alive. It sets up other plays. It allows for more creativity. The problem I see is more that they can't connect on the routine play, and they're constantly asking Wentz to make the great play and that only goes so far. You can only do that so many times where he's not going to make the great play all the time. Sometimes he makes great plays. He scrambles out. He gets on the move. He makes the throw. He gets out of the – but if you just make the routine throws, it makes all of the play calling more fluid. It makes things so much easier. And, okay, I said elementary. The word he's using this routine, they're essentially the same thing. The, 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 the routine plays, I think, not being able – those should be gimme putts. They're not. And I think that makes the offense look so clunky because now instead of third and three, you now have third and seven. And instead of third and two, you now have third and nine. They cannot connect on these routine plays at a high enough percentage. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. No, look, I, I definitely agree with you. And I do feel that one thing we both have to acknowledge, because we are, like I lean a little more Doug, you lean a little more Carson. But at the end of the day, we both need to acknowledge, and we do, that both have been horrendous. You're, we're talking about both of them being but in the F and D category. But today, if you ask me, one stays, one goes, 
I would say I'll take Peterson because another quarterback can run those plays at a much better level. And I think if the quarterback just runs the plays at a better clip, we're not having these conversations. Okay, and I I do go the other way because I feel with Carson Wentz in a new mindset, a new coach, a new philosophy, maybe we can get Carson Wentz in a different area that he's in now. Terry and Galloway, I've been watching football for 40 years. I've never seen quarterback play like this consistently bad. He cannot hit a simple pass at all. Even those wide receiver screen passes he's missing, he doesn't give the receiver a chance to run after the catch. It's horrible. That adds another one. It's okay. Sometimes he does complete the pass, but I can't do anything after the catch because the throw is making the receiver adjust. I think the receivers can help him out more. 